All right, so we'll start over. Now the only challenge is, is it, <laughs> is it big enough for me to read? There we go. All right, the, um, the point I wanted to make in the lead up to Matthew 11 is based on the first verse. And it says, when Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples. So the instructions were the things that we talked about last week. And I think they were somewhat odd instructions. The instructions begin in verse 5. And just to kind of summarize and paraphrase them, I, I made a list, and I, I, I think the paraphrase is close, but it sounds odd when you pull them all together this way. He said, first of all, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In other words, go to your home group. He said, proclaim the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Of course, they knew very little about what that meant. He said, I want you to heal and resurrect people. Right? So, easy peasy. Uh, just go do some healings and bring some people back to life. And by the way, I don't want you to involve any money. I want you to look for people that are worth it. And if they're not worth it, don't bless them. And if they won't listen, move along. It's on them. He said, expect opposition. Expect it to hurt sometimes. Expect your message to be divisive. Don't expect it to be all fun and games and everybody to be all lovey-dovey when it's over. This is going to mess some people up. It's going to divide some families. And by the way, remember who your boss is and he'll remember you. That's a weird set of instructions for your basic commissioning service. So he did all that and then in verse 1 of chapter 11 it says, when he had finished instructing his disciples, then he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now, I had not really caught that before, that, okay, he's got his disciples. Now he's going to their towns. He's going back to where they came from. So, you know, he's got, you know, one of his entourage would have been familiar to the towns that he was going to next. You would expect that he would be getting a, a friendly reception. That's what he was doing. And by the way, I should, I should mention, just by way of organization, um, some people have said that, that chapter 11 and chapter 12 really emphasize um, kind of where the people of Israel were at the time. They were basically in a state of kind of unbelief. Uh, they had heard some of the preachings of John. We're going to talk about that a bit. Uh, but they, they weren't really 
buying it, as we'll see. Um, and then we're also starting to get hints of the building opposition. And of course, this is going to be a theme as we move forward toward the cross. Um, this divisive message wasn't just for the disciples. It was already uh, you know, causing some unrest and some, uh, some opposition uh, that's going to get stronger and stronger. Uh, so um, we see that. And then also by way of organization, we're going to see um, and a couple of examples of uh, doubt to a degree. And then we're going to finish up uh, with uh, a more positive uh, statement. And that uh, theme is somewhat carried for in chapter 12 as well. So he's going to preach and he's going to teach. Now we have this little interlude here in verse 2. It says, Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? John was in prison. We're going to hear the whole story of this a few chapters from now in chapter 14. But we know he was in prison. We know that Herod had... Uh, locked him away. Uh, John was ruffling his feathers and um, calling him to account for some deeds that he had done. And as a result, uh, Herod said, oh, fine, yeah, you're just going in jail. And so John is hearing about the ministry of Jesus. Of course, he was there at the start of Jesus' ministry with the baptism, and he's been hearing what's been going on. And he asked this question, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? So he sends his disciples. Uh, it was about a hundred miles from the prison where John was to where Jesus was teaching and preaching around the Sea of Galilee. This wasn't like just, hey, swing by and go talk to Jesus. This was a, this was a significant trip. And I guess the, the question is, and this is a, an important part of this passage, What's this question about? Why is John needing to ask this? I mean, we, we talked about their close relationship. We talked about that there had some family connections. We've talked about that he was there. He saw the Holy Spirit descend like a dove. He heard uh, God say, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And yet he's asking this question, uh, are you the one? So I guess we could stop there and do you have some speculation on why John would have asked this question when presumably he would have known the answer? So, excellent. So, as Larry was saying, John may have thought that Jesus should have been more in a judgment mode, right? Um, the prophets of old, you know, would call down fire on the opposition. Clean house, take names, put things right into the world, fix it the way it ought to be fixed. This wasn't happening. John had a picture in his mind of what this new ministry was going to look like, right? He had thought about it. God had spoken to him. God had told him to prepare the way. And now here's Jesus. He hears about some of the stuff that's going on, but 
he's not really hearing what he's expecting. You ever been disappointed? You've been praying? You, you've been praying. And you're reading your Bible and you're starting to get an idea that God's got this. God's got this. He's going to come through. Um, I, my faith is growing. I'm, I'm just, I'm confident. I know it's going to happen. And then it doesn't happen. Or at least it doesn't happen the way you pictured. In fact, it's not at all how you pictured. And you're disappointed. That's where John is. He's had a picture in his mind of how this is going to turn out. And he's not, he's not seeing it. He's not getting it. Look what Jesus says. Verse 4, it says, And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear, what you see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor who have good news preached to them. Go tell John what you hear and what you see. Of course, that would call John to remember some of the prophecy. What's going to happen when the Christ comes, when the Messiah comes? You're going to see evidence of that, supernatural evidence of that, and you're going to see the blind see and the lame walk. You're going to see healing happen. You're going to see the supernatural evidence of God's hand, and you're going to hear the good news. So go remind John about that. That's what this new kingdom is going to be about. And then he says, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. The New Living Translation says, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. Um, he's telling John, hang in there. Let's look at this from a different angle. I know this isn't what you were expecting, but think about what I've done. Now, could, could Jesus have just come out and said, oh yeah, I'm the king. You know, here's my <laughs> Superman on my chest. Um, but Herod was the king, and John's in prison, and John prepared the way for if Jesus had been explicit and said, oh yeah, I'm the king of the Jews, and Herod says, well, hey, the guy that's preparing the way for this usurper to my throne, I've done with him, right? So if, if Jesus is speaking a bit cryptic to John, it's probably in John's best interest that he did that. But also, you could kind of tell he kind of wanted him to work it out for himself a little bit, to really think through what this new kingdom is going to look like. Verse 7. As they went away, so that's the disciples of John, they're going back to carry the message. Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? 
a reed shaken by the wind. Would you go out there to see when you when John was John was preaching, you went out to see him. What'd you go out there for? Would you go out to see some indecisive guy, some guy come mealy mouth, wasn't really sure what he stood for? Is that what you went out there for? Verse 8. What'd you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. Herod, very much on the mind of Jesus, that one commentary said that Herod had his own image stamped on the coin of the day, backed by reeds waving in the wind. So, Jesus is saying, did you really go out to see this kind of a person? Is that what drew you to the desert? No. What'd you go out there to see? A prophet? Yes. I'll tell you, and more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. John was the last Old Testament prophet. Verse 11, it says, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. So a lot of people have been born before John the Baptist. In case you forgot. People that were thought to be pretty amazing back in the day even. David. Pretty well thought of. Like probably the best king. Solomon. The wisest. Abraham. Who started it all. Moses. The way I read this, this covers everybody but Adam. Right? Among those born of women, there's arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. But catch this. Yet the one who is, in the, who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. What? How, did the, how do you solve that riddle? Well... If you're going to look at spiritual birth and you're going to look at physical birth, there's a difference. Physical birth, the pinnacle is John the Baptist, the best man ever born. But if you get a spiritual rebirth, blows that away. Even the best blows that away because we're talking about a kingdom birth here the one who's least in the kingdom of heaven you make it a kingdom of heaven because you're part of this new covenant this new testament that is going to be realized a few years from now this kingdom that I'm bringing to earth that I'm teaching you about you get your foot in that kingdom it doesn't matter who your daddy is it doesn't matter you're the best. Verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears, let him hear.
Um, a friend of mine used to love this verse because it was so confusing. Matthew 11, verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violence take it by fourth. The, the, the trick there is that this word suffered violence or, or some say forcefully advancing um, can be taken in a positive way or in a negative way. And this and the violent take it by force. You know, forceful men have taken it could also be construed that way. Um, I saw one commentator and, and apparently eight different interpretations of this verse have been put forward depending on how you arrange um, the this word which in the English standard is cha- is translated um, you know forcefully or suffered violence or violent th- those words one's a verb one's a noun and how you take them but the one that seems to make the most sense is this until now the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence that's basically saying there's been opposition from the start to this new kingdom that we're trying to usher in but then you've got some people that are trying to to really take it to the next level some people see the first part of the statement more positively the kingdom of heaven is crushing in it's moving in it's rattling some cages so to speak they look at the first half as being more positive and then the second half is being and the violent take it by force you could kind of personify Herod there again you know or maybe the Pharisees that are trying to mess things up but the point is the kingdom of heaven is a disruptive force and it's reaching opposition that's the crux of the matter and then he says he who has ears to hear let him hear this is that other little thing is he's talking to the crowd now and maybe not being quite as explicit as he could he wants them to kind of dig it out work it out a little bit to see what this means and then he shifts the conversation a little bit more he says but to what shall I compare this generation it is like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to their playmates hey we played the fruit for you and you didn't dance we sang a dirge and you did not mourn little kids playing around everybody wants to set their own rules for the game right no here's the no here's how we ought to play I'm gonna do this and I want you all to do this right you can just picture this happen. And then somebody says, no, no, no. I don't want to play that game. I want to play this game. Do it this way. And say, no. He's saying this is, this is what's happening in the people. They have an expectation of what they think the kingdom of heaven should look like. And if you don't fit that mold, then they're not having it. It gets more clear in verse 18. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, he's a glutton and a drunkard. So, 
John came. He was living a super clean life. He wasn't eating anything that was contaminated. He was not materialistic. He was dressed in what camel cloth, locusts and honey, eating off the land. There was nothing you could criticize him about being ostentatious. Ostentatious. Well, he got criticized. They said, oh, he's just such a weirdo. Then you look at Jesus doing the exact opposite of what John was criticized for. He's hanging out. He's socializing with people. And they say, oh, he's just a glutton and a drunkard. And he's friends with tax collectors and sinners. If somebody has their mindset in opposition to the gospel... You're never going to make them happy. They're always going to find something to criticize. And social media, what do they call it? Trolls. Somebody makes a statement. Next thing you know, 50,000 people have an opinion. And all 50,000 of them think they're right. They think they can each bring something unique and special to the conversation. Right? Jesus says, yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. In other words, you'll see. You'll see how this all works out. The, when, it all, when you see it all, then you'll realize the method here. If you go back to that question, he said, who'd you go to see? Did you go to see a prophet? And I picture Jesus transitioning into this next section beginning in verse 20 saying something like, oh yeah, I'll show you a prophet. I'll show you a prophet. He began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. If the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. You're in a city. Jesus has been teaching and preaching in your neighborhood, in your town. Thousands are bringing people around. You're seeing the miracles People are being healed that you've known your whole life. You can't deny what's happening. You're hearing the teaching of this man. You can see his life. You can see probably the changed lives of the people that were your homegrown people, and you're not having it. And he says, it's going to be better for you than Sodom that was burned up. This Tyre and Sidon, those are Gentile cities on the coast. These were pagan lands. And he's saying, you know, if they had seen me do what I did for you, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. Remember, that's what Nineveh did. When Jonah came, 
He didn't want to preach, but he preached. And they repented. And God backed off. I don't know, but if there's anybody in here that's not saved, I would be scared to death. Because there's a principle here that we don't talk about very much. That there's judgment, but then there's worse judgment. I don't understand that. But you can be bad, and then you can be very, very bad in the day of judgment. And it's worse if you've heard the truth over and over again. It's worse for you. Verse 25. You've heard and now just just come to me. Jesus says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. You've hidden these things from the wise and understanding. Reveal them to the little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. I picture him saying something like this. Father, as I think of these people who've heard my words and seen my works and turned away. But you know what? I thank you that you have hidden the truth from these people who think they are so clever, such fancy pants, and they, it's just obscured from them. And you know what? Father, I am so thankful that you thought it was just fine to come as a child with open arms, expecting the best, expecting to be blessed, expecting to crawl up in my lap and get something good from the very best daddy. I'm so thankful that you chose to do it that way. And all of you who've been weighed down and are really, really tired and the, the rules that you've been following are just giving you guilt and shame, come, come to me. If you want to yoke together with some other philosophy that you can't ever handle, that's not the way. Come Yoke up with me. It's easy. It's easy. You're going to find what you've always been looking for. You're going to find some peace. You're going to find some rest. You're going to finally feel at home. Verse 27, he says, All things will be handed to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal. That famous verse, come to me, all who are labor 
and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm gentle. I'm lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'm so grateful that he did the kingdom of God different than judgment. We know in other passages, Jesus came in the spirit of grace and truth, right? He was all about the truth. The whole reason he came was because he takes sin so seriously and it's such an offense to God. So he could certainly come with full-on judgment. But in this passage, it is all about grace and him saying, come to me, lay down what you've been trying, and come over to me. And that's as good as it gets. All right, we better quit. Comments. All right, we'll pick up next week. Father, we thank you that you chose to love us to yourself, that you chose to bring us to you, that you gave us the faith to have open eyes to accept what you gave us. We thank you for your Son, through whose blood we can join into this wonderful family. And it's his, in his name I pray. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, Arlen.